Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Awesome. So, yeah, it was an incredible month. So many things happened. And, um, yeah, we just thank each and every one of you for all that you did. And we're going to have a lot of ministries starting back up in September. But what I wanted to do, I felt like, again, today we were just celebrating. That's why I want to make space for us to just come together around the table and have food and just talk about all the Lord's done. Um, but I wanted to just speak into what this next month looks like for us so that we, um, I, I feel the Lord actually has a lot for us, although it's going to look a little different. And so for us, this is something we started last year. We're going to do it again this, this uh, August as well. I don't know if it's something that we'll always do, but we feel to do it right now. It's what our leadership feels. We essentially Sabbath the month of August, okay? And what that means is for us is that we really kind of put a pause button on all of our ministry activities outside of our Sunday gatherings. And so we'll still be here uh, meeting on Sundays, but prayer room, evangelism, everything else, we really just take a break. And, uh, and I want to just kind of speak into that, the vision of Sabbath rest and why this is so important and why we do this. Um, and I hope that uh, we'll be able to cover some practicals of what we mean and what we hope to see this next month because I want us to understand that Sabbath rest is not, it's not about isolation and inactivity. That's actually, that could actually be very dangerous. We're not inviting people just to, uh, uh, into slothfulness and just kind of binge the next month. But actually, the Sabbath rest, according to the Jewish faith, is really about intentional connection with God and with one another. So what I hope to see of this next month is not us going our separate ways and just passing by on a Sunday, but actually we would look for more ways to connect with one another, but outside of the normal ministry patterns. And I actually think if we really step into some of the things I feel the Lord's put on my heart to just share, I think this could be such a fruitful, impactful time for us, okay? So for a lot of reasons we felt to do this, um, obviously we're a... uh, we're a fiery community, which I love, and everyone gets involved, but we're also, we're still a smaller community. A lot of people wear a lot of hats, and we're a portable uh, church still, so nothing comes easy, right? So even Sundays, just to give you a perspective, we meet somewhere between 10 and 12, given, you know, what happens on a Sunday can look different, obviously, but let's just say it's somewhere in that range, but we've got a team that comes 7.30 every morning and doesn't leave till 2 o'clock on Sundays. That's an addition of working and families, and there's just a lot of time we put in. And I feel, guys, it's so important. I want us to be able to go long-term with this. And I love, we speak a lot about revival and revival history and moves of God. Um, But one of the things, if you actually study and read some of the biographies, that's always kind of, I've always wrestled with, is some of these revivalists don't always finish well. And that's not because of immorality, but they actually just give out. Like their bodies just hit exhaustion. And I believe God has a different rhythm for us that um, this is something we can sustain. There's something beautiful about rest where it's a sign. Exodus 31 says the Sabbath rest was a sign between God and his people for generations. Why is it a sign? Because no other nation rested. And all other gods of of the ancient Near Eastern culture, you just worked and served. But it was a sign because people would say, who is this God? that his people stop to delight and rest and enjoy him and one another and creation. There's something powerful. We say we're not a slave to the tyranny of the grind. 
Like we have a different master. And, uh, and there's, something, there's something so beautiful with that. So is that cool? We're going to just speak a little bit into, I don't have something like, we're not going into specific, there's a lot to speak about with rest. I just hope to provoke us with a few things of what this next month can look like and how God can really, really um, move in it. Uh, let me say this before we look at a scripture. I'm thinking of Third, third John. Uh, there's First, Second, Third John. It's a short book. And verse 2, John lifts up a prayer for the, his audience. And in it, he essentially says, I pray that you would prosper in all things, that you would be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Interesting that health, physical health, is connected to a prosperous soul. You'll actually find a lot of times disobedience to the Sabbath, to not take it, led to a lot of physical ailments. That was, the, that was what God had said would happen, a consequence of not actually learning to rest. But the point is, is that I believe God's will is for us to have a prosperous soul. That is a healthy inner life. Now, it's easy to focus on external prosperity because we see it, we can measure it. A lot of times we're not going to, we don't focus on our inner life until it's too late until probably we should have done something a long time ago, and God's good enough to work through that. But I believe God wants us to have a prosperous soul, a healthy inner life. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 11, one of his, his commissions, one of his mandates, he said, if, if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. He then says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus promises rest for our souls. And he says, learn from me. And I believe the master wants us to learn a rhythm of life from him that produces a restful soul. If you struggle to operate from the place, and I'm not talking about you can work from rest, you know that? Do you know, when we speak about rest for the soul, I want to be clear. We're talking about physical rest today, and we're going to take physical rest, but you will never feel rested if your soul's not at rest. The rest Jesus brings is a rest for the soul, and the Sabbath, taking an actual period to rest physically, can really help you connect with the rest that God's doing inside of you. But some people think that rest is basically escaping like behavioral like, conditions and trying to avoid stress. Actually, biblical rest is not avoiding stress. It's entering into rest. So the point is, is that you can sleep all day. You can go on the best of vacations and come back not rested. <laughs> now, if, you're re if your soul's at rest, those things are beautiful and beneficial. And Jesus wants to bring rest for our soul. Amen. Amen. But he says to learn from him. And I believe the master wants us to learn a way of life, like I said, that produces rest. And I believe part of that, at least where we're at as a body now, is this month we, we pause and, and we just disengage from all of the things that are vying for our attention and for our affections. And we connect with God and we connect with one another. Amen. Do you know rest was so important to the Israelites? Every seven years, they not only rested weekly and took a Sabbath, but every seven years they rested the land. They had Sabbath rest for the land. So this is really amazing. Every seven years, that seventh year, for the whole year, they would not touch the land. They'd kind of leave it in a fallow state, like a fallow ground. What's amazing is one thing, God on year six would provide an abundance for them so that they could rest for that year. They're an agricultural society. <laughs> I feel like sometimes, I've seen in my life, we can work past the grace of God. <laughs> and God says, if you want to keep going and going and going, that's fine, but you'll find that you barely get by. 
But actually, there's something so profound when you stop and can actually trust in God, then you can see his provision kick in over your life. I'm just kind of moving in different places than I thought right now. So just hear me on this. Psalm 127, verse 2. This is so encouraging. It says this. It is in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. So it's in vain that you get up really early and go to bed really late. Why? This is why the person was getting up early and going to bed late. Eating the bread of anxious toil. It's in vain if you wake up early and go to bed late, always stress out of how is it going to work out? What am I going to have to do? It then says, for he, for God, gives to his beloved sleep. God gives his people rest. In other words, while you're sleeping, God's working in your behalf. <laughs> and honestly, I'll even testify to this past month. My wife and I have shared this with people. We've, financially, we've needed to um, do some things to just bring in some supplemental income. And God has given me an okay on certain things. I feel like I've stepped past that. And I moved past that and took on too many things. And you know what's interesting is that I feel like we've been tighter than ever with money while I'm working more than I've ever had before. And I feel like I had more provision in my life when I just was very simply doing what he asked and then rested. It's like when you rest, it's such an act of faith, guys. It's like you war in the spirit against, again, I, the way I feel the Lord saying is the tyranny of the grind to keep going, keep going. You say, man, I have a different master and I don't move like that. And you give space for people to see Abba Father who cares so deeply for your needs show up in your life. Again, man, you, we work hard. We're not talking about like not having a job or anything like that. But again, that's not like, that's not what grips our life. And even when we work, we're working from the place of rest. So every seven years, they would rest the land. God would give abundance provision in year six. But the reason for resting the land was so that the land, the soil, could be replenished. And I feel this is such a word for like us, that God wants to replenish the soil of our soul. Just from like tilling and working and ministry, and I don't just mean like ministry like this. Your, your family's a ministry. You're in marketplace ministry. You're giving out. You're, the land gets depleted. Your soul gets depleted. You need to get replenished and rejuvenated. And what would happen is at the end of that seventh year when they went back to year one start over, the, the land would explode in fruitfulness. So I really believe, guys, that rest is not just defensive. In other words, we don't just rest for recovery. We rest to be fruitful. You don't have to wait to actually, to, to like you can't go on anymore to rest. We're actually called to build a regular rhythm of rest because it's not just about, well, I don't feel that tired so I can keep going. Again, all this is connected to faith and that God actually is working on your behalf and it leads you to fruitfulness. So I, I think that over this next month, not only is God gonna replenish the soil of our soul, but I believe God's actually setting us up for fruitfulness when we return in evangelism, in Bible study, in the prayer room, and all of these things. Like the soul is going to be rejuvenated, and God's going to say, you trusted my word, now watch what I'll do. Like we don't have to be like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? God's going to work. Amen. So let's go to Mark 6. Mark 6, please. Just going to share for a few minutes. I feel like this was a, I actually want to get into Genesis. We'll go to Genesis right after this. Mark 6, though, I felt like gave really clear language for what I just feel like the Lord's saying right now to us as a community. So Mark chapter 6, 
And I'm going to read, let's see. I really want to read verse 30, 31, but let me start by reading verse 7, because this will give you the context. Is everyone there? Mark 6, verse 7. Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. And in verse 7, it says, And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Okay? So he, this is where he's, he brings the 12 in and sends them out. Now look at verse 12. Here's what happened when they went out. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Well, that's interesting. That's what Jesus did. We talk about this a lot. His ministry was then passed to them, and you're starting to get like a trial run. I don't know if I like that word exactly, but he's giving them a taste of what is to come, what, what he's going to give them permanently when he ascends. And so everywhere you go, proclaim people to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Look at verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. All right? So they're doing what we talk about all the time, proclaiming the kingdom. Everyone's shift. The king is here. Repent, and here's the sign of God's kingdom. This is what it looks like that God's rules here, deliverance and healing. Now go to verse 30. This is now them returning after being sent out and seeing all of this kingdom breakthrough. Verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. How many guys were here a few weeks ago? The gospel is both proclaimed in word and demonstrated, right? So here you see it again, all they did and, and taught. But now I want you to hear Jesus' response. I mean, can you imagine the excitement? They got to step out and be used by God. They're seeing people get healed, delivered, come into salvation. They're going house to house, going to all these places. And in verse 31, and hearing all the report, Jesus says this, and he, meaning Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place or a quiet place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I feel like a measure of tension in this. This is not what I would expect maybe Jesus to say here. But in the midst of so much kingdom breakthrough, they're coming back, they're excited. And let me be clear, Jesus is not like indifferent to what they just did. Jesus is the one who commissioned them. I mean, Jesus is excited. He's rejoicing with them by all means. Like he's, this is what he wanted them to do. But as they come back, Jesus doesn't just say, well, now go and keep going again. But he says, hey, come away for a while and rest. Come away for a while and rest. And I, I feel these words really carry the shepherd's heart here. And I feel Jesus, man, are you blessed that Jesus is such a good shepherd? <laughs> and he's not, we're not just a number to him. And he doesn't exploit those that he leads. And it would have been really easy to be like, hey, every time you go out and proclaim my kingdom, I, I, my name goes forth, which that is a part of it. And I, I don't know, a natural leader could have easily said, hey, I'm benefiting from this. You don't stop. Right? This, is, this is helping me. And you can just run people into the ground. And once they're kind of used up, you move on to the next people. That's not the way Jesus leads. He could have just said, keep going, keep going, keep going. But he says, hey, I know this is exciting. I know you're being used, but I want you to come away. I care about your soul. I care about the quality of your life. I want this to be able to something you can do long term. And so he says, come away with me for a while and rest. And I, I feel within these words, there's so much protection from Jesus. And there's actually so much deliverance in these words for his disciples. And we could probably spend days speaking of how these words protect these disciples and provide a measure of deliverance from like certain mindsets and beliefs about ministry. 
Right? Do you, do you know, I think a lot of times our work, the reason why we can't stop is, I mean, and you guys know a lot of this, is that our, our identity is really wrapped up in our works. And, and I honestly think, if we're honest, a lot of times we struggle with shame. Shame is the feeling that we feel flawed in some sense. And so what works become is works is a way, an attempt to try to deal with our imperfections. And we constantly hearing that voice like not enough, not good enough, must do more. And Jesus comes and wants to like deliver us from that voice that wants to drive you and saying you need to keep going. You can't afford to stop until you perfect yourself through your works, which is impossible. But I, I, I really feel that one thing I felt in my heart from this is that Jesus wants to protect us and deliver us from only feeling valued or only feeling like we have the pleasure of our Father, our Heavenly Father, when we're doing works for Him, when we're serving. Now, let me be clear. I feel so much of God's pleasure when I work, when I do the works. You know God prepared works for you before you were ever born, Ephesians 2. Works are like glorious. These are things like when we get someone connected to the purpose for their life, we're talking about an eternal purpose in the heart of God that someone gets awakened to and now begins to walk in. I feel his pleasure of my life right now. I feel his pleasure when I am going door to door. I feel his pleasure when no one knocks on the door and I'm preaching to a ring camera. <laughs> and I say, Jesus, you're worthy of it. I feel his pleasure on that. So I want to be clear. You should feel his pleasure when you're working for him. But the danger is if you only feel his pleasure when you're working, wherever you feel like he's most pleased with you is the point that you'll always return back to. Again and again and again and again. And it, it will be impossible to find rest in your life if you feel like the only time you have value or the only time he cares for you is when you're doing works for him. And now all of a sudden something that was a privilege and glorious actually becomes really burdensome to your heart. I've actually been on a journey over the last few years where I really struggled with rest, especially extended rest like family vacations, which I believe are so important and so beautiful and necessary. But here's what would happen to me, and maybe you can identify with this. I used to feel that when I went away, I had amazing time with my family, but I always came back after a vacation feeling very disconnected and far from God. And I just, when that happened, I kind of just wrote it off as this is the way it's going to be. I have great memories with my family. I have great time with them. But God, you're just really far from me, and that's, I'll just make up for when I get back. And what the Lord had to show me is part of what we're saying right here is that I believe that God was only pleased with me when I was doing ministry activities. And so what happens is you've been on times with family. Uh, all, you know, I have brothers and they have kids. Everyone stays up late. I want to be a part of those family moments. Those are beautiful. And, but you stay up late. Then you want to get up early to have time with God like you normally do, but you can't get up as early. 20 minutes into devotion and 100 kids are running around and want to go down to the beach. And I want to be a part of that. But I would feel like I'm going to do it, but I felt so guilty. Listen, you know, we love time with the Lord. I'm not saying that. I pray that over this next month you'd have increased, like, worship and devotion with God. But what God showed me is, Andrew, I'm just as pleased with you when you're preaching from the pulpit as when you're walking on the beach with your kids. And that changed everything for me because if God was trying to talk to me while I'm with my kids, I would have said no way he even wants to talk to me. I would have just written off that can't be his voice because God's not really pleasing me right now because I'm not just in study right now. Hallelujah. The lights came on. <laughs> but does that, does that make sense? So I, like, I just would be with my kids, but deep down I'm kind of feeling like condemned and all these other things. But then it shifted, and God's like, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm there when you're in the car with your wife, 
You get coffees because that's what you love to do and your kids are there. Like, I find pleasure over your life, Andrew, when you're enjoying my creation, when you're enjoying the family that I blessed you with. Do I want to have devote? Absolutely, guys. We love to quiet time with the Lord, but I pray over this next month that you would connect with God in places maybe you thought God never wanted to connect with you. My wife loves to garden. I pray you would invite him into the garden. That sounds really biblical. <laughs> but... But I like to run. I, I used to struggle with working out because I felt like it got in the way of time with God and it was like, man, I could have given that to God. And the Lord's like, why don't you talk to me while you run? I'm like, that's a good idea. Some of my greatest revelations are while I'm running with God. Invite him in the workout. So we're not just saying do the activity, but before you start, you say, God, thank you for my mind. Thank you for this creation. I just invite you, Lord, to speak, teach me, show me. Here I am. And now as you're gardening and pruning, you're going to learn a lot in the garden. <laughs> as you're running, God's going to teach you a lot of things. You love to fish? Go fish. Invite God on the boat with you. Say, God, would you just, would you just be here? Would you just speak to me? Like whatever it is. And I, honestly, now you're doing things that you're finding rest for your soul, but you're connecting with God in deeper ways. Does that make sense? Amen. Yeah, I feel like rest really helps us know that our identity is in our relationship first and foremost with uh, our identities in our relationship with God, not in our service. Let me be clear. Your identity, I think we can go to extreme. Part of my identity is wrapped up in my service. It is, and that's okay. I really do. Like, I'm, I'm a church planner. I'm a pastor. But if my full identity is in that, that's where I think you run into an issue. The primary banner over my, over my life is not pastor, it's son. It ha and it's daughter for you if you're a woman. That has to be primary over your life. And so what, remember Luke 10 when, this, ooh, when the 72 come back and, uh, and they're rejoicing because they saw people get delivered and set free. And Jesus is rejoicing. But then remember what he says? He says, but I want you to primarily rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. It's like, man, rejoice that this is the work I've called you and do it and give it your whole heart and, and labor. But just don't forget the ultimate joy is that you're mine, <laughs> and you have me, right? And, and that allows me, again, to step away from things like this because I know that this is not who, it's not my sole identity. I'm a son. So I feel like rest helps us to really rebel against, again, that kind of the grind of the culture we live in, which I really believe, guys, and maybe you're like, you're, you're, I don't know, you're, you're making it too spiritual, but I, I believe principalities and powers drive a lot of the things that go on in this, in this world, and I believe a lot of that like unbridled ambition that winds up destroying lives because they feel like they can't stop. It's not, what drives that is principalities and powers. I really do. So when you rest, you're resisting principalities and powers saying, you're not my master. I work and I work for the Lord, but I don't go to a place where I'm completely burnt out and lost my family in that. Because ultimately whatever Whatever, like, the kingdom of darkness does, it may be disguised in career, but the end is always the same. It wants to destroy your life and your family life and destroy your connection with God. So what happens is, like, careers are blessings, but a lot of times I've seen it over and over. Someone gets a job, and all of a sudden God is just, like, cut off in their life because I feel like they've come under, actually, some type of stronghold with that. So listen, listen to this. I think this is really, really incredible. You don't have to turn there, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 5. You know what? Why don't you turn there? Yeah. Might as well. It's always good for you to hear. Deuteronomy 5. I just want to see how uh, 
Sabbath rest, really, it's a weapon. It, it really is. And when you, when you hear, I, I know I'm not alone. It's Deuteronomy 5 as you're turning there. But as you're going, I've heard the taunt of the enemy many times. How is it all going to get done? <laughs> what are people going to think if you don't respond right away? <laughs> you know, you hear that. And, and, man, again, all I can say is when you rest, it is such an act of faith. And you war against that. And, uh, and it delivers me from Savior complex. Although, although God, we are his, we're co-labor with God and, and he really uses us, I'm also not Savior. And, uh, and I, I can afford to stop and, and rest and trust in God that he's going to get his work done. So Deuteronomy 5, I just want to read one verse. I wanted to make it quick, but we're all there now. Moses is rehashing the Ten Commandments. So Israel's right about to go in the Promised Land on the plains of Moab. And Moses is going again through the Ten Commandments that he gave in uh, Exodus. But when he goes through the commandment of the Sabbath, that's a commandment, he adds something unique. I want to read one verse, verse 15. And he, he says something here he didn't say before. He says, you shall remember, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now listen to this, therefore, because you were once a slave and now free, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. <laughs> this is, I think this is incredible. I mean, we could sit on this for a while. He's making a connection that you were once a slave and Pharaoh's over your life, but no, you're no longer a slave. Therefore, enjoy the Sabbath. Take the Sabbath. It's not holy obligation. It's a holy invitation. When Israel lived in, in Egypt under Pharaoh, they could not stop from work. Do you know that? They worked 365 days a year, seven days a week. They worked around the clock. Now God's saying you're free. Pharaoh, Pharaoh represents an oppressive force against God and his people. Just like there's a Pharaoh in our culture today that wants to keep people going, 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 going until they're dead. They have nothing left emotionally, physically, spiritually gone. We say we're not under the oppression of that Pharaoh anymore. And you wage war and give a sign to yourself. You bear witness to your own spirit, to your community, to your family, to those looking at your life that, again, that's not your master. You're free. Do, do you actually know that in ancient Near Eastern culture, you know, that's the days of Egypt and whatnot, that only the royalty could rest? Only royalty could rest. Everyone else worked around the clock. When you rest, you bear witness to yourself of who your identity is. You really do. It's, it's really, you show, so I'm a, a son of the king. I'm a daughter of the king. You proclaim, you bear witness. It does something. The more you know this when you're resting, it's not just like I'm just watching TV for 24 hours. But man, I'm like, I'm practicing acts of faith here. And it's building my faith. Amen. So, so at the end of verse 31 in Mark 6, it just says that, I just want you to see that when Jesus invites them to rest, he invites them to really come away with him and with one another. And this is where I want to leave us as we go into Genesis, and we'll close it out in Genesis, that I want us, if you walk away with one thing today, I want you to know that rest, biblical rest, Sabbath rest from the Jewish perspective, and we'll see this really clear in the creation account, is unto connection with God and one another. They weren't just being called to go their own ways and again and isolate and just do nothing, but Jesus was calling them away with himself and with one another. And I feel this next month, the Lord is calling us to come away with him in intentional ways and with one another. All right? So let's go to Genesis 2. And I want us to see that very point fleshed out a little more. And then we'll close and 
enjoy time together. Genesis chapter 2. Okay. So, before I read this, I want, I, we're going to see something here, but I want to explain it, give you a little context. The purpose of creation is connection. This is very important. And as we're going to see, creation climaxes in the seventh day rest, which was the Sabbath. So all of creation points actually to the Sabbath, and the ultimate aim then is connection with God and one another. This is very important. So we're really not practicing Sabbath if we're not connecting with God and one another. But again, that doesn't mean that I have to spend 12 hours in the secret place. If God leads you to do that, do that. But it's really just being aware of, God, I want to connect with you in whatever the activities that I'm doing. But it's all unto that. Now, here's what's amazing is God's going to create all of these things to lead into this ultimate seventh day that he would connect with us. But in order for God to create all that we see for the primary purpose of communion with us, there's two things he has to create first in Genesis 1.1. He says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So God is outside of space and time. Don't, don't, don't get lost on this. Crystal's like, you were going like on some weird trip this week. But listen, God is outside of space and time. So in the beginning is time. He who's outside of time, who has no beginning, if he wants to connect with us, he has to first create time. And then he has to create space, which he'll fill it with the heavens and the earth. And he does all of that so that he can have fellowship with us. And the point is this, is that if we're going to emulate our creator and have deep, er, deeper connection with our creator and with one another, we need to create space and time in our lives to do that. But a lot of times, we're so overstimulated and overstuffed that our relationships really lack substance because we do not create the necessary space and time to connect on a deep level that our hearts were made for. So this next month, again, I put before you, is about creating intentionally time and space to connect with God for rest for your soul and to connect with one another. Amen? Um, I heard a pastor talking about this, and it resonated with me because actually my wife, I'm shouting you out a lot today, but how many have ever watched the show Hoarders? She's right here, by the way. No. <laughs> I know, but how many have ever seen the show Hoarders? All right. Honestly, it's, it's a, it gives me a mixture of emotions. It's heartbreaking. There's a part of it that's, it, but it, it's fa there's things that are fascinating, and I love to see people get breakthrough. But here's the thing is that what you'll notice is that when someone hoards, it's a common theme in all of their lives, is all of their relationships are destroyed because they literally have no space anymore in their life. <laughs> And I feel that we can become so, like, we hoard emotionally our time. We have, we're so overstuffed and overstimulated that we're, our relationships really lack. And guys, I, and with all the works and all the things God's created us, the ultimate aim of our existence is to bring God glory to know him and to, to know one another. Like, this is the aim, that we would have deep fellowship. But when we're so overstuffed, we can't do that. So we're creating it. We're waging war against that this month. Um, how many of you guys ever heard Rabbi Sobel? Don't, don't, um, don't mind Mark. I don't know what Mark's about to do. Just don't go, don't go falling on me, Mark. So listen, Rabbi Sobel, um, he's obviously he's a Messianic Jew. He loves the Lord. I love listening to him. He has a ministry called Fusion Ministry, if you ever want to listen. But he has such profound insight 
just understanding Jewish perspective and then seeing Jesus as fulfillment. And he was talking about the Shabbat meal or that's the Sabbath meal. So as, as a Jew, he still practices, and he would tell you it's not like law. You can do Sabbath any way you want. It's not about a day. Paul says that. But he still practices Friday sundown to Saturday, but he does it through the lens of Jesus is the fulfillment. But that being said, the Sabbath is kicked off with what's known as the Sabbath meal, the Shabbat meal. And again, he's saying all of this is about connection with God and with one another. And he says one of the most precious times of the Shabbat meal is the time of blessing. And he says, everyone comes around the meal, and I want this, because I want us to practice this this next month. Everyone comes around the, the meal, and every single person gets blessed. Every person gets blessed, every person gets honored. And he says, blessing and honor deepens connection with one another. So prayer, when we pray over one another, we're praying essentially for something that does not yet exist to come into existence. But when you bless someone, you're actually praying that what is already in them, God's God-given promise and potential would be activated in their life. When you bless someone, it's meant to multiply and increase what God has already put in them. Adam and Eve were blessed, and then it said be fruitful and multiply. When you bless someone, it's meant to multiply the God-given promise and potential. So he says when they come around meals at the Sabbath, this time of rest to connect with one another, one of the central things they do is they bless one another. Everyone gets blessed. And he says it's one of the most powerful times. At, like they invite friends in and friends are just weeping because most people have never had in a communal setting someone vocalize their God-given promise and potential. And he was really convicting me and challenging me by saying what would happen to our kids, to our marriages, to our friendships if when we came around the table we said, before we do anything, we're going to just lay hands on this person or however it looks, and we're just going to bless your life and what God's doing in your life. <laughs> so much depression, worthlessness, so many feelings of like anger is a result of people not feeling valued, seen, desired. But at the table, when we come into Sabbath, we're saying everyone here is desired, everyone here is seen, everyone here is known, and we're going to bless what God's doing in your life. So, so give you an example. One of the blessings is for the children, the boys. And I love it. He says the way they bless the boys is they bring the boys up, they lay hands, and they say, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, the reason why they do this is because Ephraim and Manasseh in the first five books of the Bible are the only two brothers who never fought with one another. They never jostled for position and birthright. So Sabbath is about unity. Remember, it's all about connection. So we're not fighting with one another. We're not trying to outdo. We're not jealous when someone else is being promoted. And we remind ourselves that we're unified. We're all one. We're, if you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, you cannot get any higher than that. <laughs> so we can bless one another, right? And then he said, what's also really important is that Ephraim and Manasseh, their names are very important. Manasseh means I have forgotten the pain of my past. And Ephraim means double fruitfulness. So what he says is it's also part of the blessing of the Sabbath is that we would also forget, forgive our painful past where we've been hurt in order that we could be fruitful again. So he says the Jewish perspective is that when you come around the Sabbath and rest, part of it is to inspect your heart and say, God, is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Do I have any grudges towards people? And if so, I want to seek reconciliation for the sake of unity and fruitfulness in my life and their life and the body's life. Isn't that so beautiful? So part of the Sabbath is us stopping, slowing down, to actually see people around us and ask God, what do you want to say to that person? <laughs> what do you have for them? 
I'm not just going to keep running 100 miles an hour. Do you know that Jesus did most, I noticed something, Jesus did, I think, most of his ministry while he was going somewhere else. Do you ever notice this? He's heading somewhere, and along the way, he gets stopped. And that tells me that Jesus lived in such a way that he was not so overscheduled where he said, I'm sorry, I got to keep going. He lived with enough margin in his life that when he got stopped, he could actually stop and engage and not be looking over the person's shoulder saying, I'm sorry, I got to keep going. It's an act of love to live with less, whether it's finances, time, whatever it is, so that we have more to give to others. Do you, margins. You ever, you ever see a paper that has no margins? It's chaos. <laughs> now, you can write more, it looks like, but you can't follow the train of thought. But when you write in the margins, it actually is healthy and orderly and you can see. When you create margins in your life, space in your life for all areas, it's very, very healthy. And it allows you to actually stop and give out to other people. All right, we're going different places. <laughs> all right, Genesis 2. Oh, my goodness. It's almost 12 o'clock. Here we go. We'll keep this quick. Here we go. Let me read verses 1 to 3. Yeah, block their noses in Jesus' name. <laughs> so here, here it is. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, so why did God rest? I think we all know God did not rest because he got fatigued. <laughs> Isaiah 40 says he does not grow weary or tired. The reason God rested is because his work was finished. In the same way a prosecuting attorney makes his case and then says, I rest my case, he's saying it's finished. This is very important because Sabbath is connected to the finished work. So just follow me for a moment. This is, I think this will bless you. I want you to hear this. From day one to day six, something else happened as creation was unfolding. After each day, it would say, and it was evening, and then it was morning. Not morning, evening, evening, morning. Now, that may be like, what's going on? The Jews still go by that for their day. They start with sundown is where their days start. That's why. But here's what's very important is it goes evening and morning. Now, what does that mean? That means on the sixth day when man was created, it was evening when God formed Adam, and then it was morning. Technically, Adam's then first morning was the seventh day, which means man was born into the finished work of God. Man was born into the realm of rest. And that, it never says morning and evening after seven days. Why? Because Sabbath is meant to be eternal. It w guys, listen to me. It wasn't like Adam was born, created on a weekend with Monday looming over his head. Now, he labored, but he would not labor from the sweat of his brow, but from co-laboring with God and from the abundance provision that God would give. That's how he would labor. But he was meant to live in the finished work. He was meant to move and operate from the finished work. Can you guys just see the gospel exploding here, right? So what happens? Sin enters in. The Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath is broken, but God does not give up. We know what Jesus does, and when he's on the cross in John 19, I believe, what does he say? It is finished. We sang and talked about Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 says, outside of Jesus, we were once dead in our sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. That's, we were born again. What were we born into? Made us alive, and the first thing it says is, and you were raised and seated in the heavenly places. Your first position in the finished work of God is rest. 
Jesus has restored the rest of God to your life. So when we practice the Sabbath, guys, we're touching this eternal stream. We're practicing garden and oasis, and we're, we're almost like it's a bridge between what once was and where it's all going. <laughs> Amen. Um, so the goal of creation, though, I want you to see this. We'll finish here. The goal of creation is the Sabbath. This is incredible. The whole goal, and we don't have time to show how the seventh day is unique, but everything was pointing to the seventh day rest because that's where God and man would dwell together. And that's the chief end of our existence is fellowship with God. Some theologians go as far as to say it this way. The Sabbath is so central to creation, they call it the creation of the Sabbath. Everything was actually about how God would create this space and time to meet with us. Amen? So the purpose of our creation is not the sixth day. I want, this is important. A lot of people talk about sixth day because that's where man's made and we're made in the image of God. But if you and I want to experience the full potential of being made in the image of God, you cannot stop with six day. The, what, if you were to say, Pastor, what makes being made in the image of God so unique and so beautiful? If you don't understand the seventh day, you'll understand that we're unique, but you won't realize the full potential and blessing of that. All of creation brings God glory, but only one part of God's creation is made in his image. And why that's so important is because that means you and I have the ability to engage with our creator unlike the rest of everything else. The purpose of being made in God's image is for the prospect of day seven communion. If you, do not lead, if you don't lead a life, though, that goes into communion, guess what happens? Man then goes back to the stewardship of lower creation, which is so important, but he seeks to find his life and meaning and joy and identity from the responsibilities God's given him rather than the fellowship that he's made to have. And so many people and Christians whatnot don't live from the Sabbath, the communion with God, and as a result, they look for who they are in their identity and their ultimate joy from the works they do for God rather than fellowship with him. Amen? So the whole idea of being made in his image is that you and I can have fellowship and connect with him. So let wonder set into your heart that the potter has formed a vessel that he can engage with and connect with, and that's you. And when you Sabbath, whatever that looks like, you're actually stepping in and responding to that. Amen? So, yeah, well, uh, it says the Sabbath was holy. I'll leave you with this. Holiness is a beautiful thing. I just think a lot of times we stop really shallow. And we usually reduce it to actions. Doing what's right and avoiding what's bad. Now, let me be clear. Christianity has real ethics. And that's the sign of real transformation. But the problem is when you start just with the actions, you only deal with the fruit and not the root that's driving the actions. Real holiness is rooted in rest. Why do hearts extend out to all these things? Why do I keep going to that, Pastor? I don't understand. Because your heart is restless. And if you want to experience real holiness in your life, you need rest for your soul, which is Jesus. Amen? So we're going to take communion. So if the ushers could bring it forward, we're going to stop here. So look, I want you to listen to this, though. As they're passing it around, don't take the elements. If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. Just some practical things. Over this next month, I would encourage you, as the elements come around, just hold it, we'll take together. I would encourage you to practice a Sabbath, meaning a 24-hour period where you disengage from work, things that drain you. That's important. Certain things are life-giving for others and drain someone else. 
Uh, like counseling drains me. <laughs> my wife comes alive. So my wife loves the garden. You know, some people may find that uh, draining. Things that are life-giving and replenishing to your soul, I encourage you take a 24-hour period every week this month and engage in those activities. I encourage you to have extended periods of time with God in the Word, in worship. I would just caution, don't go in trying to do a deep Bible study necessarily. Come in like, with music like this, open up, stay in one word, and just connect with God. Don't feel any pressure. You've got to get a new word. Just let him, just commune with him. Just speak to him. And your soul is going to be refreshed. I encourage one another. Guys, I would love to hear testimonies of us connecting in deeper ways than we ever have. I would love to see the tables being filled with people that have never shared a table before. Have barbecues. <laughs> Go to the beach together. Walk dogs together. Pray together as you're doing it. Like, be at rest. Enjoy God. Enjoy his creation. Enjoy what he's doing. We can do that. We're his sons and daughters. Amen. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.